This is the Hash Podcast. Stay informed with the latest on Bitcoin, ETH, the Metaverse, Web3, and more. All on the Hash for your ears. You're listening to the Coindesk Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Coindesk TV. You are watching The Hash. I am Zach Seward. That is Jensen Assey, Will Foxley over there. It's a three box Tuesday and we are going to do some stories, four of them even, to get you up to speed on what's going on in the world of crypto. I'm ready to start. Let's do this thing. We're talking about Binance now having potentially further issues heaped upon it, the world's largest crypto exchange by volume alleged to have been serving folks in Russia, despite a whole raft of financial sanctions relating to the war in Ukraine. This one, you know, could significantly harm Binance in the long run. uh, But this report is now out saying that they have relationships with Russian customers, and that is potentially an issue should Binance want to remain in good standing the world over. So let's talk about this one. I'm gonna throw it straight to Jen. What stood out to you uh, from this report? Well, if you read the report, there's this Russian businesswoman, probably like halfway in the report, who says that most people in Russia are familiar with cryptocurrency and use cryptocurrency. And I think the quote was everyone except her grandma. And I think when we look at these Western sanctions, it's obvious to see why so many people in Russia are looking at cryptocurrencies and using it to change their rubles into absolutely anything else. And so, yes, there are Western sanctions in Russia, but there are people who live there just like you and me who need money to do things. And so I can understand why Russians are looking for ways to change their fiat currency into crypto. Now, when we look at Binance, it's like probably the website is not available in Russia, but probably there are Russian people who have found ways to circumvent this. There was another Wall Street Journal article that came out earlier this month that spoke about China, another, uh, well, there's not sanctions for China, but crypto is just illegal in China. And it talked about how China is this $90 billion market for Binance. Obviously, the website is not available, but the Wall Street Journal viewed documents that showed uh, Chinese users how to circumvent some of the things in place so that they would be able to use Binance. And so I am just waiting for more information here. It is a wait and see story for me. If Binance is outwardly showing people in a sanctioned jurisdiction, how to take their currency and change it into crypto. I think that they are definitely going to run into uh, issues with the regulators, but I'm just waiting to see if Binance responds to this more than what they've already said. Will? Yeah, I think like the centerpiece of this is the peer-to-peer nature of what they're talking about here, like the the peer-to-peer exchange of uh, crypto assets. And Russian citizens, of course, who have no involvement with the war, why should they be penalized for this? Well, it's because the Russian citizens and like the banking system that they were using beforehand is being pressurized and squeezed from all sides. And so those Russian citizens are sort of caught in like this in-between zone. So crypto is a natural outlet for them. And I think it shows you the promise of crypto very shortly, just with, with that war going on. Uh, interesting to get a thought from Binance on this. They told us a spokesman for Binance told the journal, the exchange follows global sanction rules, but they did not return a comment of request from Coindesk itself. I think this story just sort of follows up, though, in the eyes of politicians and regulators out there in line with the SEC and the CFTC and others who are pushing against Binance right now. And there's many open investigations and cases and lawsuits against Binance for their involvement in so many different aspects of the cryptocurrency market from 
securities to working within the United States or other jurisdictions without licenses. And now you can just add to this list this open look into what's happening with people possibly using their platform for exchanging assets uh, in a country that right now is sanctioned by the global West. Now, the, the question here, Jen, is like not necessarily like, is this a wait and see, but more of like, what is the reaction from politicians? Like, are they going to be, are they going to wait and see, or are they just going to make a decision and start going for it? And I could see them actually start pushing, especially on Capitol Hill, if we continue to see more issues with the crypto and more bear market pressures and scams, finance is a pretty easy target. Uh, just because of the nature of its global business. Throw it back to you, Jen. Yeah, I'm I'm with you there, Will. I think you have uh, Russia news, Binance evading Western sanctions, and then just a few weeks earlier, you have China news. I think that those are two things that I would be surprised if we didn't hear regulators talking about what's going on, especially given what's happening with Binance. So I'm, I'm right with you. Zach, what do you think? Yeah, quite risky for Binance, right? Should this stuff, uh, you know, prove to be sort of demonstrably true? This is based on some analysis that I think the journal enlisted from outside, you know, uh, blockchain sleuths, right? So, you know, should this be uh, a significant thing, this would be quite damning, I think, as it relates to how you, the U.S. Uh, regulatory apparatus is kind of crack, trying to crack down on Binance. So certainly would be growing a, like list of pains that CZ is facing at the helm of Binance, you know, from the, the stuff that we talk about all the time, from, you know, hopping from jurisdiction to jurisdiction, to again, helping those uh, who the financial system would not like to be served with the financial options that are available to, to other people. This is a pretty big one. So interesting to see what the, what the more full response is from Binance. As noted, they've been pretty mum on the issue. History corner will be good. I mean, there's some great journalism from Coindesk on this in the past. Talk about the movements of funds between the Chinese and Russian border tether i think that comes to play here and then over the summer as well there was a lot of uh interesting disputes or back and forth with some senior people at binance uh leaving the firm and then there's of course like the layoff of about a thousand people so binance has certainly had a rocky 2023 but hard to pinpoint a crypto company that has not had a rocky 2023 okay let's go over to coinbase and talk about the circle consortium which is now being dissolved as coinbase has garnered a or purchased a stake within Circle itself. Circle earlier this year uh, actually sold some of its stake to Fidelity and BlackRock. So now Coinbase joins those two firms. Uh, what does this mean? Well, I think Circle's really growing and they want Coinbase along for the ride. Circle, of course, runs the USDC uh, network. They're adding about six more blockchains for that crypto asset, which is quickly becoming one of the most important stable coins out there. Zach, I throw this one over to you. Just kind of cool to look back and think about like how the Circle Consortium worked. It did its job for a few years. Now they're professionalizing a little bit more, putting it all under one hood. And then Coinbase continues to have a stake in the company by purchasing a stake in Circle. Yes, I will correct you, sir. It was the Center Consortium, not the Circle Consortium. So the Center Consortium ah, is the true, thing that's true. being nuked. I think, um, I yeah, this is interesting. I mean, obviously, the addition of additional blockchains stands out, right? Having native USDC on various layer one networks is pretty catalytic for a lot of these networks, right? You want to have that stable unit of account that you can use to zap around money uh, natively on these chains rather than having to rely on a bunch of sort of like, you know, uh, duct tape uh, bridge situations. That I think is super notable. But I think also that there's clearly some interesting behind the scenes here as to why Coinbase wanted to get in on this a bit more actively. I think if you looked at the low to no interest rate environment that a lot of stuff took place in you know, in the last three, four years, suddenly these reserves are probably thrown off a good chunk of change sitting in some uh, bank account somewhere 
generating interest, generating returns, right? I could imagine why Coinbase would want to be closer to that because it might represent a decent uh, business line, right? Circle, these are dollar-backed stable coins. They're sitting in reserve somewhere. They're tokenized and then they're, you know, zoomed around the internet. And then if you want to cash them out, you get that dollar back. I think the business economics of being a stablecoin issuer have certainly changed given the high interest rates uh, that we see. So it's interesting that I would, I would imagine that that may have been sort of a catalyzing factor in this change to the approach. And that's certainly interesting to, uh, to see Coinbase be a bit more active in pursuing it. But yeah, I think probably the new blockchain stuff will have the longest term ramification in terms of, again, maybe jumpstarting some of those ecosystems a bit further. But yeah, interesting business story as well here, I'd say. Jen, what do you think? Well, I read this and this is complete speculation, but I read this and thought, you know, Coinbase has been working very closely with their lawyers, very closely with their legal advisors on the suit that's brought against them by the SEC. There's a stablecoin bill that's being debated on. And I just, I feel like this is, you know, them looking at the industry, looking at the growth of the industry. The consortium was created in, I think, 2018. I think that this is them seeing kind of where regulation is going and making their, making USDC look like other stable coins that they think are going to make it. And maybe one of those is PiUSD, PayPal stablecoin. It just feels like they are restructuring. They've looked at the industry. They've seen how it's developing. They've heard what regulators are saying when it comes to stable coins, and they are being flexible so that they can carry on with the product and, and again, bring it to more blockchain. So that's, that's my speculation while reading this. I think this is a regulatory response that has been carefully thought through. Well, any last words on this one? Yeah, I'm just wondering about the funding side of these things. So Coinbase has a pretty good books in terms of like revenues, cash flows, and debt on hand. Uh, they did re- recently announce that they're raising about $150 million in debt. I think as of like August 8th, they had about $50 million of that secured. And I'm wondering if that was has something to do with this. But is of course, right now, that's only speculation. We don't really know how they purchased this or how large the stake uh, within this whole new purchase was. So that'd be something I'd be curious about knowing. Coinbase, of course, just a huge company at this point, and they have stakes in so many different business lines. Very professionalized company. Uh, but I'd be curious about the money side of things. Keep on trucking on. I have to say it every time we talk about Coinbase, despite this lawsuit, they keep moving forward and doing I, what I think is like really great things for the industry. So they are leading the charge. Zach? It's going to be less confusing when writing up stablecoin stories, because you always kind of had to mention like center, but it was sort of like, wasn't really key to the story. So it is nice. It'll be nice, like simplistic because you know, center was circle and Coinbase. And now it's like, let's get it's rid of that. We're just, here. yeah, it's just, just straight up circle now. That's great. We are now going off to Thailand where lawmakers are seeking a court order to shut down Facebook in the country, accusing the platform of supporting fraudulent crypto investment schemes. Thailand's Ministry of Digital Economy and Society said in a statement, that the ads have affected more than 200,000 people. Will, going to kick this one off to you. Much like Binance and the regulators, Facebook and the governments have really had a back and forth for Facebook's entire existence, and many times it is warranted. What do you make of Thailand's move to potentially shut down the platform? Yeah, I mean, I think online communities are new to everybody. Like, I think we like to think that they're not. They've been around for about you know, 15, 20 years and the size that they are. And they've been growing year over year quite a bit. And I think makes things tricky, especially when you have the ability to go online these things 
rally a bunch of people and then sell them something that doesn't exist, right? I mean, these things existed all throughout history, but now we have like, this social platform and the ability to touch people uh, much more easily, and it's costless for the most part, and that makes it very dangerous. In crypto, we run these things very quickly, right? We think back uh, on all the scams that have happened, maybe from DeFi summer onward or the ICO era. Uh, we just think of like last cycle's big pump and dumps. If those things happen, right? And they happen because you're able to talk to all these people, get them to buy into something, and then the adverse uh, choices come about later. And governments are caught on their heels a lot of times here. They don't know exactly what to do here. So they kind of implement a wide swath ruling and just sort of ban something. But that doesn't quite get to the heart of the matter, right? Which is that people are going to be scammed. You just need better education at the end of the day. You can get rid of a platform, but that doesn't mean like the scammers aren't just going to move to a different one. And there's tons of different platforms out there. Just think of WhatsApp, Telegram, uh, Instagram. There's so many different ways to like move these things. As long as there's an online community and there's snake oil to sell, there's going to be more of this. Uh, and I think Meta, of course, has known how to deal with this. So I would assume that they have like a lot of lobbyists in all these countries that are working directly with each government. I think this one's kind of silly, right? It isn't Meta's fault. I think like scammers are going to scam. They're going to go where they have uh, an available platform to do so. It's like a game of whack-a-mole, right? They'll go from one thing to the next. They'll hop to Telegram. They'll hop to WhatsApp, what have you, right? So the idea that Meta should be held to blame here, it's a bit silly, maybe a bit opportunistic by the Thai um, politicians uh, making these claims. I'm with Will. Like the big picture, sort of like scammers are going to scam. When you have big platforms that a lot of people are on, they're going to going to do that on these platforms. It's not like Meta should. I don't. I don't. I don't know. I think Meta should not be castigated here in this instance because it's just not fair. It's just not fair to them. It's not fair to the. It's just <laughs> not fair to Zuck. It's not it's their fault. Not they're not fair. doing this. They're not doing the scamming. They're just. They're a platform, and platforms are tricky, as Will mentioned. They're tricky. You got to figure out what's allowable, what's not. How do you do it? How do you don't? And those are a lot of those are unanswered questions. So I'll toss it to you, Jen. Yeah, I'm with both of you guys on this. I think scammers are going to scam. But I will say that this story hit a little bit of an emotional chord with me because there is someone out there pretending to be me and pretending to give trading advice. And if anyone watches this show, you know, if you're going to take trading advice from me, you're going to lose all your money. And so maybe those people should, whatever happens to you, you got what was coming to you. But I have reported this fake account time and time again, and almost everyone I know has reported this account and it hasn't been taken down. There's been no recourse. I've submitted my ID. It's, I've just been told like that my ID can't be verified. And so that is very frustrating. And I learned just last night, somebody lost $200 to this scammer. And so I think while scammers are going to scam, maybe there are some better processes that can be put in place for when fraudulent ads or fraudulent accounts are reported. Wow. And that, That's, yeah. that was a good, that was a good personal story. Yeah. I mean, I impersonators like, are, are real. It's, it's not yeah. good. They're, they're out there. They're out there trying to scam people out of their cold hard cash. They're everywhere. Those, those, those scammers, I tell you. One like quick thought about this is like Google and Facebook and a lot of these other companies in the past have banned cryptocurrency ads and they've banned them because the proliferation of scams is so easy to get someone to buy into something like this, right? Be like, hey, this is a good trading opportunity or this asset's going to do this thing or have this utility. And a lot of people have bought into it. And that's why they got rid of the ability to advertise for cryptocurrency for so long. And mostly during these cycle pump periods, we do see like those bands come back in. And then during a bear market, they sort of get relaxed a little bit. And we kind of go back and the scams start proliferating. The money starts flowing. You see the ad walls come back up with Google or Facebook. So maybe this is just one of those times where like it's starting to happen again. We're starting to get back into that, that groove. Who knows? Maybe that's a little hopium. Zach, final thoughts? 
No, no final thoughts. No, no. that was a strange okay. little dose of hopium, but um, no final thoughts beyond that. <laughs> Your story next, Will. I have to give it a little bit. We're going to talk about Shiba Inu. It's restarted in Shibirium public blockchain, which is actually an L2 on top of Ethereum. After its botched start a few weeks ago, we talked about that first on the hash. This is trying to make Shiba Inu a more legitimate project by building out quote-unquote utility for the entire network. Uh, the last time the launch didn't work out so well is because there was issues with bridging assets from one chain to another. Those bridges, of course, are highly manual, and they move transactions back and forth between two networks. Those bridges were serviced by servers that themselves were overwhelmed by the amount of demand leading to the failed launch. But now they're back at it, and uh, not a lot of price action on top of it, but at least they're, they're pushing forward with some development here. Jen? Well, they have they did respond to the reports about the bridge and said that actually there were no bridge problems. It was just unprecedented demand that caused uh, this launch to be all bungled up. I just wonder how many people were rushing to to do something in the Shibarium ecosystem. It's not clear to me what can be done there. Yeah, I know their test step phase was like four months and. I think there were 22 million transactions and millions of wallets that were opened. But does anyone know what you can actually do there? Silence. Nope. Silence. We don't know. <laughs> I've yet to test it out. But likely it's just the same stuff as all the other blockchains, right? Like Go likely you out, could just, right? I mean, not, I mean, do, do like finance stuff, like do lending, do borrowing, do whatever. It's probably like the same thing. Okay. So I was picturing the Shibarium metaverse, but there is obviously um, a whole layer two here with an entire ecosystem. Thank you, Zach. Sorry. Yeah. I don't know. Don't, yeah. don't be sorry. I asked. <laughs> Credit to them. I mean, if they can get like meme coin people to do the utility stuff, then that would be an amazing story, right? And they're trying to make that happen. They're saying, hey, we're not just a meme coin. We're doing all this thing. We, we do all the other things that all the other networks can do. And we're going to do it better. And that's what they're trying to do. So more power to them. Again, like move that needle in terms of meme coin, like the utility of a meme coin, right? Is just you can trade it and have fun with it and do whatever to like actual utility in terms of financial things. Fantastic. I would be, I would be, I would like, that would be amazing to see. Because I think for the most part, people are just sort of, buying these things and the utility is the speculation, right? It's not the utility that you would find on other like blockchain uh, applications. Uh, but I think that'd be great if this community of people went from the meme coin utility to actually doing stuff with a bunch of new financial tools. I'm rooting for him. I'm rooting for him now. I, I am. She's bullish. She, but you know, is what I'm hearing right now. No, I don't no, want to say I'm don't not. Put that, I, I don't do want to seem like I'm not rooting mm -mm, for no. them. Dogs are my favorite. <laughs> I always stand behind any dog. So that's that. Well, it's a dog. Okay. Oh, we got, I got nothing else here. I think we'll see what happens with the Shiba Inu price. I think everything's a bear market, though. So, like, development or not, there's not going to be a lot of price action there. Uh, whether Zach wants that or not, who's to say? But, yeah, maybe there's some price utility what? here. Maybe it's some speculation. You? Killing me, Will. You're killing me today. All right. We're going to wrap the show. Thanks for being here on Coindesk TV with us, The Hash. Zach Seward, Jen Sinassi, Will Foxley. We'll be back again tomorrow to do it all over again. Thanks for being here. We'll talk to you soon. See ya. See ya. You've been listening to The Hash on the Coindesk Podcast Network. We would like to hear from you. If you have any questions or comments, please reach out to us at podcast at coindesk.com, subject line, The Hash, or leave us a review on your favorite podcast player. Thanks for listening 